Okay, so we are continuing our series um, that's called God the Father. We're exploring the nature of God the Father. And it's not like we can, we can't exactly separate them out, can't we? But we're examining the heart of the Father. You know, it's, it's not like God the Father is different from Jesus. They're not different. They're almost, well, they are the same, aren't they? It, it's hard for me to explain. It's hard for you to understand. But it's, it's one of these mysteries that we're doing our best to try and explore. It's not like, you know, God the Father and Jesus are two different people. And, and God the Father's, you know, the bad cop and, and Jesus is the good cop. And God the Father is in heaven wagging his finger and being stern and being serious about what we're doing wrong. And Jesus is coming alongside us and saying, there, there, you know, have a cookie. It's going to be okay. It's not like that at all. They're actually one. And I hope that as we explore the nature of God the Father, you're going to go, well, that's just like Jesus. Their, their natures are identical. But as we learn about God the Father, I believe we're looking at things from a different angle, from a different perspective. So week one, I, um, we were looking at Adam and Eve. We explored God's interaction with Adam and Eve. And last week, Christy did a great job of talking to us about God's relationship with Abraham, the father of the faith. So this week, we're going to be looking at another character called Moses. And this is a, a big story. It's a sweeping story. And it's really hard to compact it all into one message. So I would encourage you guys to have a read of the story of Moses. And you can find it just by starting from the book of Exodus, the beginning of Exodus, and learning a little bit more about Moses' journey with God. But I'm going to kick off with um, Moses' first interaction with God the Father. So he's, he's uh, about 80 years old, so he's getting on a bit, and this is his very first encounter with God. He's never met God before, but now at 80 years old, he's having this encounter. So why don't you read along with me? We've got the, uh, the words up on the screen, and we're going to read from Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Interesting, isn't it? The image changes. Last time when we were looking at Abraham, God appeared as, as a fire pot. And this time God is appearing as flames inside a, a bush, a phenomenon, a natural phenomenon that Moses had never seen before. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's so incredible, this interaction that happens to Moses at 80 years old. I think there's hope for us old people that faith journey can start at honestly any age. And for Moses, it begins at 80 this is a sweeping, long journey that Moses goes on. He is a key player, if you like, in, in our faith, even today. The story of Moses, for me, is I, I'm drawn to it because 
Moses is a fairly complicated character. He's not cut and dry. He's not a perfect person. He's human just like me. And I can relate to his weaknesses. I can relate to his mistakes. So to give you some, some backup history, you know, last week Christy talked about Abraham. Now we're 400 years later. 400 years goes by and God gave this promise to Abraham, which Abraham doesn't see the end of it. And we'll get to that in a little while. Moses is born. Now the people of Israel are living in Egypt. And Moses is born. And at the time that he's born, Pharaoh, who's the ruler of the, the Egyptian people, makes a decree. He wants to get rid of all the firstborn males um, of the Israelites. So they are all being murdered. And Moses' parents see that he's such a beautiful boy and they hide him away. And they keep him closeted away until he gets to about three months old where they can't hide him anymore. And so... Um, as the story goes, it's probably a little bit too long for me to, to flesh it all out right now. But by a series of miraculous events, Moses ends up being adopted by Pharaoh's wife. And Moses becomes a prince raised up in the house of Pharaoh, even though he's an Israelite. So he's raised up in Egypt. His own people are slaves. And yet he's living a life of, of ease and, and um, privilege and he's probably developed a little bit of confusion about his identity because he's, he knows that he's not, the Egyptian people look at him different and his own people look at him different and he's stuck in the middle somewhere and he's not sure about what he's supposed to do or who he's supposed to be. And then when he's 40 years old, he sees uh, an Israelite slave being mistreated and he steps in to intervene. He believes that he's supposed to bring justice to this event. And in the, in the fracas, I guess, that ensues, he ends up killing the Egyptian guy that's whipping this or hurting this, uh, this, Egyptian, this uh, Israelite slave. He murders him and he tries to cover it up. He tries to bury it. And he realizes he's done the wrong thing and he takes off. He flees from Egypt and he runs off to live in the land of Midian, which is over like 300, 400 miles away. So it's far enough away to be his own guy, to do his own thing. And so he believes that he's got away from his past and he's developing, or he believes, a life of his own in obscurity. And this is my first point that I want to share with you guys today, is that God has a plan for you. He really does. But so often you don't know it yet. He's got a plan for you, you don't know it yet. And you know, the interesting thing to me was that Moses wasn't really looking for God. He wasn't looking for salvation. He wasn't looking to work it out. He wasn't looking to go back and face what he did. He was just kind of living with the sheep, living with the flies, and that he believed was his destiny, his purpose. And he wasn't really looking for God at all, and yet God was looking for him. God chose Moses. Not only that, so Moses has this amazing encounter with, with God through the burning bush. But his first response is to try and get out of what God was saying to him. His first response was to, to say, no, thank you. I'm quite happy with my flies. I'm happy with the sheep. I'm happy with my little life here. Um, I'm going to stick it out in the desert. Thank you very much. And so here we find in Exodus 4.10, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have been eloquent. I, sorry, I have never been eloquent, 
neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. So God says to him, I'm going to use you, Moses, to go and deliver the people of Egypt out of slavery. And you're going to be the one who leads them. Over a million people, I believe you're the guy. You're my man. And Moses says, oh, no, 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 no. You've got the wrong guy. I can't, I've got a speech impediment. I can't do this very well. Please choose somebody else. Have you ever been given an invitation um, by somebody that you just don't want to receive? You get invited to a party that you just don't want to go to. And like, you've got to make up some weird story about, oh my goodness, I would love, so love to be there at this party. But you know what? I can't because... um, I'm pretty sure that on that day, in three months' time, I've got, um, I'm doing my nails. So um, I won't be able to come. I'm really sorry. We invent these excuses because we don't want to be there. We don't want to be part of it. Um, and I think this is part of Moses thinking to himself, I don't want to be part of this thing. This sounds too crazy. It's harebrained. There's probably a good chance that I'm going to die. Um, so he tries five times to get out of it, what, what God's asking him to do. Why is that? Why is it, the, is it because of the comfort thing? We don't want to be uncomfortable when God presses our buttons. Is it fear or insecurity? I'm not sure. Maybe there's a few reasons for Moses. But so often we feel unqualified, don't we? We don't feel like we've, we've got the goods. When God asks us to do something incredible, we feel that burning in our heart to do something significant. Straight away in our hearts we say, uh-uh. Not for me, thank you very much, because this is too hard. I don't have the skills required to do this, and I'll say no thanks. You know, when I was a young, a young man, and you're probably thinking, well, he's young already, so it must have only just been in the last week or two. But funnily enough, over 20 years ago, so when I was a young man back then, um, must have been, what, three, five? Um, when I was a young guy, um, I was at a different church, and I was part of the worship team. And I loved being part of the worship team. Worship was my world back then. And so I was at every single service I could imagine uh, that the church had on. I was there. I was leading worship. I was playing in the band. I was doing something involved with worship. And then one day my friend comes up to me and he goes, I reckon you should be in the the youth team. Lead the youth with, with me. And I'm like, no way. I don't like youth. I don't like those young people and I don't have anything to do with them. I don't relate to them. No, thank you very much. I don't want to do it. But he kept coming back to me over and over and over again. And I was like, no, 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 no. And eventually he wore me down. I just got sick of saying no. So I went along and I was part of the, the, the youth that night. And it didn't take long before I just loved those people. I just loved doing youth. And it became my whole world. And and I actually loved doing that thing that I initially said no to, that I initially didn't want to be part of, I didn't think I had the skills for. And yet God, fortunately, had a way. He was opening a door for me that I believe was setting me up for what I'm doing today. And I think that's exactly what happens to us too, doesn't it? We don't believe, we disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do. I've got a picture up here of a, a just a regular dude, regular soldier. 
nothing special. I mean, I wonder if this is the sort of person that when you look in the mirror, this is what you see. Just a regular Joe, nothing too flash, nothing too strong, no special skills, just kind of ordinary. Bland. And, uh, and this is what I think, that sometimes when we look at ourselves, we disqualify ourselves from what God can do through us because we see nothing special. And yet when God looks at you, He sees somebody completely different. We've got another photo of another person that this could potentially become. When God sees us, He doesn't see this guy, the nerdy guy. He sees Captain America. He sees the potential. He sees what you could become. He sees with the eyes of faith when he looks at you. He doesn't see the warts and the wrinkles and thinks, oh my goodness, there's no chance this person's ever going to amount to anything whatsoever. I'll just leave him on the shelf. God doesn't look like that. He's more interested in what you can become. He loves looking at potential and he loves drawing potential out of people. And that's what God is wanting to do with your life. He doesn't look at your life the way that you look at your life. And that's why He will ask you to do things that you know that you can't do. Because He wants to draw out of something out of you that's potential. Something that you have never done before. He's not going to ask you the easy stuff. He's not going to ask you the stuff that you do like day in, day out. He wants to draw greatness out of you. And that's going to involve you changing your mind about yourself. Moses believed that he was disqualified. He believed because he'd done some bad things that God couldn't use him anymore. He'd murdered a guy. He knew that he'd done wrong. He thought he wasn't qualified. He wasn't able. He didn't have the skills. He had this speech impediment that would stop him. And this is what God says back to Moses after he lays out his five excuses. In Exodus 4.11, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I tell you what, sometimes we think we've got to have faith. I believe that we've just got to have obedience. Sometimes we've just got to say yes. We've just got to have a yes in our heart to say, okay, I can't see it ever happening. I can't see that I've got the skills or the abilities, but I'm just going to do it. You know the person who's got to have faith? God. He's got to have faith that us, that me, that you are actually going to do something. He's got to have faith. When he sees that potential, he's looking with the eyes of faith to see something special. And as Moses stepped out, as the story goes, incredible things began to happen. And it's not like Moses never made mistakes. But as he stepped out in obedience, he saw the hand of the Lord move on his behalf. And God fought his battles time and time and time again. In Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14, God says to Moses, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I want to encourage you today, you don't have to have the answers worked out. You don't have to have the strength even worked out. You just have to have the obedience and the willingness to take a stand, to take a step forward. 
Now, interestingly, here's a New Testament uh, verse, which to me says something very similar. And God now is speaking to Paul. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, But he said to me, this is Paul speaking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, God has chosen you for significance. He's chosen you for for something significant. Not the person next to you, not the more good-looking person around you, not the more skillful person around you, but you. You are the one that He has chosen for doing something significant. How are you responding to that right now? What's going on in your heart? Are you ducking and weaving like Moses? Are you coming up with excuses for all the reasons why you can't do it? Are you disqualifying yourself because you don't believe you have the abilities or the skills? You know, I heard this story about this evangelist. His name's Reinhard Bonnke. Crazy name. He's a South African guy, I believe. And and he is being used by God to do incredible things in, in Africa. And it's not uncommon for him to have rallies where over a million people congregate. And he's leading many, many people to Christ. One day he's walking along and he's just overwhelmed that God would choose him. Wow, God, you've used me to do these amazing things in Africa. And so many people are coming to know you through my ministry. Wow, that's just so amazing. And he felt God speak to him very clearly. And he said, you know what? You were not my first choice. How's that for a confidence booster? You were not my first choice. You were like number five. What? Number five. So God asked a bunch of other people before he got down to Reinhardt. And they all said no. They all passed up an opportunity to do something significant, something incredible, something amazing, something that changed the lives of millions and millions of people. Could that be you today? What are you passing up? What are you potentially missing out on because you don't want to do it? Because perhaps you're too worried about the the comfort levels. You're too worried about the here and now. And you've forgotten about the perspective of, of eternity. God has called you to make a difference. And you know what? We have this thing that we call Life Track. We do it and our next one's coming up in February next year where you have an opportunity to discover a little bit more about yourself and you can make a difference in the life of this community and people beyond. And I tell you what, there's always more opportunities than there are people in this church. There always is. So don't ever say, well, everyone's doing stuff. You know, if every single person in this room was willing to be part of this community and put their hand to the plow and do something, there'd be, incredi- there'd be no end to the possibilities and the things that we can do as a church community. So I want to encourage each and every one of you that you can make a difference if you're willing to say yes. This is my next point. God has a plan that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. In that verse that we read earlier in um, Exodus 3, God says, I'm the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. One of the, the overarching themes that we're beginning to tease out as we look at God the Father is that God seems to play a long game. He seems to play this generational game that goes beyond your individual lifespan, that goes beyond your little world that you know and you understand. Last week, Christy talked about Abraham and his life, and God spoke to him this incredible promise. I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. What a great promise that is, and I've got a photograph of a guy looking up at the stars. More numerous... Abraham, you don't get it, but your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. What an amazing promise to receive from God. And yet Moses lived out his life just an ordinary guy, just lived, had a family. He probably, I think he had nine sons in the end. He had, and he died, and that was that. He had no concept or idea of what was to come. The word that God planted Um, Laura spoke before about something being planted, eternity being planted. God planted something in Abraham that was to outlive him, outlive even his children and his children's children. This incredible promise that God gave him that was bigger than Abraham alone. So when Moses comes along, Moses is actually living out part of Abraham's story. Moses is part of Abraham's story. Moses is part of Abraham's promise that he received from God. It's this multi-generational thing. Abraham lived this life of struggle. It was hard, years hard. Maybe there were decades that were hard and inexplicable to understand what was actually going on. What's even the significance of my life? What was I thinking when I walked through the meat? You know that story where Christy talked, she had the fluffy animals and, and Abraham walked through the meat. What the heck? I walked through the meat and nothing happened. What am I, Lady Gaga or something? Like, what's the significance of my life? In the big picture, he had no concept or understanding. And it wasn't to be fulfilled for many, many years. In fact, it was 400 years later after Abraham, before Moses even came along onto the scene. And Moses, even though he lived this extraordinary life and he delivered the people out of Egypt, he didn't actually even get to enter into the promise. He stood on a mountaintop and he looked forward to what was to come, what the next generation was going to carry on into the future and actually fulfill that word of promise that God had spoken to him. What am I trying to say here? So often when we look at our lives, we ask the question, how am I going to find fulfillment? What am I supposed to do? It seems to be more about me, my fulfillment, my joy, my expression. And yet when God has something to do through your life, it's often, yes, I want you to be fulfilled. Yes, I want you to do something, but it's going to be beyond you. It's going to be bigger than you. So when you begin to ask yourself these questions about your significance and why am I here and why am I doing these things, perhaps you're part of a long play game. Perhaps you're part of something that you're instilling into the generation that comes after you. Have you ever thought about that? 
I want you to understand that God is doing something through you and in you. Through you and in you. You are going to be fulfilled for sure. But God wants to work through you to impact other people. And maybe you don't get to see all the results of what your life's investment is all about. But I want to encourage you that God is at work. He is at work more than anything else. He's doing something. He's playing a long game in your life and through your life.